This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. So uh, this was move week for our family. Um, and so I, I woke up this morning and was like, oh my gosh, my, my iPad is dead. And that's where I put my notes. Um, and so thus the extension cord. It's like, I'm gonna need some juice here. We're not gonna make it. Um, I don't typically spend a whole lot of time looking at my notes, but I do like to have them. And this week was, was rough. And so it's, it's gonna be good to have them on, on, on standby. Um, Mark chapter 14. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend a good bit of time uh, in, in Mark chapter 14 really looking at Peter. We're, we've kind of hit the point in Mark, uh, it's the final hours of Jesus' life. Um, and so we've just kind of been taking the different scenes um, and, and, and packing them all together, right? So we talked about, you know, Jesus before the Sanhedrin. We talked about Jesus and Judas. Um, now we're going to talk about Jesus and, and Peter. And there's multiple different touch points throughout Mark 14 that, that talk on um, Peter, Peter's encounter with, with Jesus. And so the title of the sermon, and I, and I oftentimes don't, well, I always title a sermon, but I don't think it carries a lot of weight. Um, let's be honest. Like how many of you are like, oh man, remember that sermon titled and you rattle it off? Never, right? That's not how we remember things. But the title of the sermon does hit the main point of this passage. And what we're gonna see in Mark 14 and with Jesus and Peter and Jesus and the disciples is an emphatic grace for the emphatically undeserving. So that's the, the title of the sermon and, and really the main emphasis of this message is an emphatic grace for the emphatically undeserving. A couple years back um, here in Austin, um, really the, the lowest points in my life um, have been in Austin. Um, and, and I was just in a really dark place um, I, I tried to chronicle that as openly as possible. Um, by the grace of God, I am in a much better place and a healthier place, but I was in a, a dark place emotionally and mentally and spiritually, um, and I was really frustrated. I was meeting with my counselor, and I was frustrated because I, I kept kind of like go, taking steps back, and, and I would think like, gosh, why am I not better yet, right? I, I, was, I was here, and I, I wanted to get here, and I was just frustrated because I, I could see where I wanted to go, but I kept, I kept reverting back and like stumbling and, and, and I would get super frustrated with myself, because, especially because mentally I knew where I wanted to go and yet I couldn't like force my, my heart or my mind or my body to, to get there. And I was just really discouraged with the setbacks. And she told me something that was super life-giving and super freeing. And she was like, hey, hey, you need to not look at progress, at, at healing or growth or, or life in small windows. You need to look in larger chunks of time. In the last four months, are you further along than where you want to be? Not just the last four hours or four days, but the last four months because recovery or, or healing or mental health or growth in life is never linear, but instead and I've drawn this before, you go like this and then you have a setback. And then you recover and you have a setback, right? And then you recover and you have a small one. And then you have a big one, and, right? That, that's more of how life occurs. And if we look at our own mental health or our growth or our healing just in one window, it's a great chance that when our minds recognize something, it's because we've hit this point right here 
and we've started slipping backwards and we're just looking right here. And we're like, life is a disaster. Everything's falling apart. Why am I not up here? And she was like, hey, this is just life. This is how life as a mere mortal works, right? You take two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, three steps back. Four steps forward, like that is life. And so you look at it and you go, okay, if I look in windows like this, am I further along than where I, I was six months ago? Because life is going to have many points along the way where we stumble, where we, we get tripped up, we slip backwards, we, we fall down. But, but these moments right here, where the journey kind of goes backwards and down, that's not failure. That's just, that's stumbling, that's falling. Failure is if I don't have these moments right here. Failure is if I do this and keep going. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference in just my, my mental health or my faith stumbling versus failing and just completely throwing in the towel and, and giving in. And, and so growth in life, growth in you know, emotional well-being, growth in our spiritual walk, our faith with God is going to have many moments like this. And what we'll see in the encounter here with Jesus and Peter and Jesus and the disciples is that though we will all hit these moments and stumble and fall back, that, that the bigger betrayal to Jesus is not that we stumbled, the bigger betrayal would be if we never repented and returned back. The bigger betrayal would be if we just continue to fall away and stop progressing and returning to the emphatic grace that Jesus offers us. And so that's what we're going to see in, in Mark chapter 14. So we're going to go through a lot of verses today. So if you have your Bible, start in verse 26. If not, the verses should be on the screen. Um, so let's start Mark 14, verses 26 to 28. So this is after Jesus had had the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and they were heading out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You will all hit these moments in life where your walk with me was going the right way and now you've fallen away. You, you've backslid a little bit. You've, you've stumbled. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. All right, so, so Jesus tells all of his disciples, hey, you're, you are all going to fall away. The Greek word there is skandalizo. Can you tell me what English word we get from that? Scandal. We got a sharp bunch. We got a sharp bunch here. The Greek word is, is scandalizo. And, and more so in, in English, right, we look at that as like this volitional, like I, I created this scandal. This is more of a, you got tripped up. You weren't necessarily looking for it, but something kind of came to you and caused you to stumble, right? Caused you to, to fall away, to, to fall back. So in this case, Jesus is telling them, hey, you're, you're all going to fall away. 
And he's pointing to, hey, Judas is on his way with a mob of people with clubs and swords, and they're going to arrest me, and you're all going to take off. That event that you didn't plan for, that you didn't cause, it's coming your way, and it's going to trip you up. You're all going to stumble in your faith, in following me and trusting me in obedience. But the very next phrase after he tells them that, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus says, hey, you're all gonna fall away, but after I rise from the dead, guess what? You're all gonna start following me again back to Galilee. That's what it means that I'm going to go before you into Galilee. So this message is not a message of, oh my gosh, let's look at how they messed up. They all fell away and Jesus is, you know, greatest time of need. No, this is a message focused on the hope of grace offered to anyone and everyone who will receive it and return back into reconciliation with Jesus. The focus is not the falling away. The focus is on the repentance and returning to the grace of Jesus offered to anyone and everyone who will receive it. We like to focus on our mistakes. We like to mess up and then just jump into a big old pool of shame and guilt and beat ourselves up. And Jesus is saying like, hey, yeah, yeah, you messed up, but let's focus on the grace that leads to repentance. Let's get back up and keep moving. That's the focus of what we're going to see play out um, in all the disciples, but mostly with Peter. The emphasis really comes down to Peter. And so Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away, but after I raise up, men raise up, you will go, I will go before you. You'll follow me again. Verse 29, Peter said though, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, even though those guys, because let's be honest, their faith is not as strong as mine, even though Thomas and James and, and the, you know, John, even though, yes, Jesus it's going to be too rough for them and they're probably going to fall away. Dadgummit, I am not. Right? He's like, you can kind of see Peter. You ever had those moments where you're like, I would never do that. Like, I know some of those less mature Christians, like, yes, they're probably going to sin. And if you look at those people over there, like, but I would never, never. You ever, you ever had thoughts like that? Statements like, I mean, that's what Peter's doing here. Jesus, I know you're telling me I'm going to fall away. False. I will not. And will never fall. He's got this confidence to him. This, this overconfidence that we've talked about, which is a dangerous place to be. Because what Peter doesn't know, and, and Luke actually records it, is that Satan has come to God asking permission to sift Peter like wheat. Satan has come to God and said, hey, God, I would like to attack your main dude, Peter. And Peter is just blindly walking into the lion's den like, oh, man, I'm never going to betray you, Jesus. I'll never be unfaithful to you, Jesus. I'll never sin in that way. I'll never do that, Jesus. And it's that unawareness, that overconfidence that sets him up for an epic fall. It's why he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
Be alert, be sober-minded. The devil, your enemy, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. He learned a lesson here. Your enemy, if you are a Christian, you have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, and he would like nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy your life as much as humanly possible. Because if you go down, it diminishes the glory of God. If, if you give in to sin, well, then what does that say about who God is? He wants to destroy your life. Peter's, I'll never do that, Jesus. I will never be unfaithful to you, ever, ever. I, I used to think that until one day I woke up and was like, holy crap, how did I get here? until I sinned in ways I never thought I would, and then it was like, shoot. I'm just as needy as the next person. I'm just as capable of any sin as the next person. That person is no worse off. He just got caught, right? We have to be aware of the enemy that is looking to devour. Peter's overly confident. I'll never sin like that, Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus follows up. Verse 30. Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter, before the sun is up and the rooster has had a chance to get its second crow out, you will deny me three times. Peter standing up at his altar of commitment, his promise of faithfulness to Jesus. I will never betray you. And Jesus says, Peter, man, before the sun is even up, you will deny me three times. This word deny, we, we miss it in the, in the English. The word typically for deny in the Greek is arneomai. And it means to deny, to reject. It's not the word we get here in the Greek. The word we get here with Peter is Apa arneomai, which means to utterly and completely deny and reject. There's an emphasis that Jesus tells Peter. Hey, you're not just going to arneomai, you're going to apa arneomai. You're going to completely and utterly disown me, disassociate with me, reject me, and deny me. I mean, it would be like we just moved to, to a new house, right? Like meeting someone and like, man, oh my gosh, we are best friends in the summer and then showing up to school and they're like, I don't know that person. Never seen him before in my life. Never seen her before in my life. Complete dissociation and, and, and disenfranchisement. And so Jesus tells Peter, hey, hey man, not only are you going to fall away, but you're going to fall away in epic proportion. Like complete, utter denial and rejection, you are going to get to the point where you completely walk away. Peter, it says, emphatically responds, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus, this relationship is until death do us part. I mean, it's like a wedding ceremony. Jesus, I will be faithful to you until the day I die. Mark my word. It's an emphatic, bold declaration of faithfulness that Peter is making to Jesus. 
I will never betray you. I will never deny you or walk away from you. Out of control, Jesus. And says the other 10, all, all respond. They all said the same. They all respond in the same way. We'll never walk away. We'll, we'll never betray you, Jesus. And yet in just a few minutes, they will. It says then that you know, Jesus goes into the garden and he prays. He brings his three closest friends, James and John and Peter, with him. And he says to be on guard, to be watchful, to keep watching, to pray. And then we see that G- Judas arrives a few minutes later. And it says in verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. We talked about this a few weeks back, right? That Judas comes up and in an act of intimacy, of, of friendship, he actually betrays Jesus. Gives Jesus over to this mob, like murderous, vicious mob with swords and clubs. You don't just walk around with swords and clubs in the middle of the night because you like the way, you know, it looks. It goes with your outfit. You know, like they've got evil intentions in mind. And they show up and they arrest Jesus. And what do the disciples do? Well, 10 of them do nothing. One of them, Peter, who emphatically said, I will die before I betray you. What does he do? Oh boy, whips out his sword and is going to take on the entire mob of people. He says in verse 47, one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It says that Peter took out his sword and somehow managed to only cut off the ear of Malchus. How does that happen? Like just... Go with me for a second and channel your inner gladiator scene. How many scenes do you see where someone just loses an ear? Either, either like Peter went for the like decapitation chop and Malchus went like matrix on him and just caught his ear or somehow Peter is terrible with the sword and went for the head and just hit the ear. I don't know. What I do know, no one else apparently likes, likes to think about these things. I'm like, how does that happen? Like, what, what, are you, what are you doing, Peter? All I know is Peter emphatically promised, Jesus, I will die before I betray you. And moments later, his opportunity is here. He is going to die before he betrays Jesus. There's a mob of people with clubs and swords. And just like Peter said, dadgummit, there they go, falling away. Not him whips out his sword, and he's like, let's do this, boys. Come on. He cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus is like, Peter, stop it. Stop it. Picks up Malchus's ear, puts it back on his head. Can you imagine that scene? What? He's got this ear flopping around. I don't think ears flop, but just flopping around, right? And Jesus is like, come on, come here. Stop it, Peter. What are you doing? Like, just think about that for a second. Like, that's attempted murder with a deadly weapon. And Jesus is like, what evidence you got? His ears are right there on his head. What are you talking about? That's crazy. That's, I'm sorry, that's just a side note, right? Like, so Peter, he's doing it. 
He's backing up his emphatic promise. Jesus, I will never betray you. This is until death do us part, and if this is where I die, this is where I die. Jesus says to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not see me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus says, Ear, Malchus, let's go. Peter, put away your sword, stop it. And he gives himself up to the mob. Peter's risking his life with a sword against a mob of angry, murderous people. And Jesus, stop it, let's go. Just walks away. And it says they all fled. Why did they flee? Because the man that they just devoted their life to, that they believed had come to literally bring in God's kingdom, just willingly walked away with the opponent. Didn't even put up a fight. He could have brought legions of angels in an instant. I mean, dude fed 5,000 people with a couple fish and some bread, raised the dead, healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, and they come up here, and Peter's ready to roll. Man, he's bringing out a sword. Let's go, let's do this. And Jesus is like, stop, let's go, and walks away with them. And they all take off, because they don't get it. It doesn't make sense to them. This is not how they thought it was gonna go down. Except Peter and John followed the crowd. We don't see this in Mark. We see it in the Gospel of John. Peter and John follow the crowd. John's got some inside connections in Caiaphas, Caiaphas's house. And so they follow into the courtyard of the high priest. And Matthew 26 says that Peter wanted to see how it would end. And what Peter sees is Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the elders and the chief priests the high priest and the scribes and he sees them falsely betray Jesus, falsely accuse Jesus, make up all this false testimony and slander and, and, and Jesus says nothing. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was silent. It's like someone said that a few hundred years before, perhaps in Isaiah 53. Peter's watching to see how this would end where Jesus is on trial and they're accusing him and they're making up this false reason to kill him and Jesus says nothing. And then Pilate comes in, or I'm sorry, Caiaphas comes in and is like, are you the, the son of God? And he's like, I am. He invokes the name of the I am. He says the one thing that is certain to have him killed, right? They're throwing all this stuff at him. What do you have to say to this, Jesus? And he says nothing. And then he says the one thing that Peter knows will have him killed. I am. And they condemn him to death and they begin to pummel him and to beat him and he never fights back. And Peter's standing there watching Jesus not fight back. And, and it says in verse 
66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, probably a teenage servant girl of Caiaphas, of the high priest, comes and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed the first time. You'd think that would awaken him. But at this point, Peter was set in his way. He was set in his denial. It would not be an accidental, I don't know how I got here, denial, arneomai. This would be an aparneomai. This would be a complete and utter volitional and intentional denial of Jesus. The first time, okay, perhaps, you got caught off guard weren't expecting the question. There's a lot going on. You just cut off some dude's ear. I don't know him. Rooster crows, that should be your bell. That should be your warning signal. The second and third time, Peter knew what he was doing. His eyes were open. He knew that he was denying Jesus. He knew that he was being unfaithful. The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystander, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He's getting angry and irritated. You're with Jesus, no. You're with Jesus, no. You're with Jesus, GD, I told you no. I don't know the man. I want nothing to do with him. This anger, this rage has come up in him where he is utterly and completely disassociating himself with this man, Jesus. This was a betrayal of epic proportion. This was a a betrayal on par with Judas. What happened? Why, Why did Peter flip a switch? Why was he in one moment literally taking on a mob with clubs and swords ready to go to the death for Jesus and now a teenage servant girl who has no power and no clout with unnamed random bystanders warming themselves by the fire, he's denouncing and denying any association with Jesus. In a matter of moments, what changed? My guess My guess is I think that Peter felt duped and betrayed by Jesus. I think Peter was disappointed and discouraged and distraught and frustrated and angry and humiliated by Jesus. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. He left his wife and kids at home, walked away from his career, Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Okay, Jesus, I will. Love me more than the world. Okay, Jesus, I will. Forsake comfort in order to follow me. Okay, Jesus, I will. Peter, you're gonna deny me. No, I will never deny you. I will die for you, Jesus. The moment comes, Jesus is ready to die. And what does Jesus do? Okay, let's go. What are you doing? 
Jesus, I stood at the altar and I said yes to you. I gave my vow to you. I was faithful to you. And here you are, you're betraying me and you're just walking away. I think Jesus felt duped and humiliated and betrayed. I mean, Peter felt duped and humiliated by Jesus. I think at a deep, deep, deep level, he was disappointed to the point where he was so angry and hurt by Jesus, he wanted nothing to do with him. I think Peter thought Jesus utterly abandoned him first, therefore he's going to utterly abandon Jesus. That's my guess of what's happening. Because when I put myself in that shoes, I think it'd be very possible I'd respond the same way. I felt that way many times here. Okay, God, yes, we will move from a life of comfort in suburban Fort Worth to go start a church in Austin. Oh, all hell's gonna break loose? Thanks, God. What? Many times I have been angry with God and felt duped and betrayed by him. And those are the times when my faith starts to fall away. All of ours does, I think. And we start to struggle. Is he really worth following? Is he actually good for his word? Verse 72 says, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. We don't see this in Mark, but Luke says, the rooster crows and Jesus looked at Peter, made eye contact with Peter. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows, crows tight, twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The rooster crows, Jesus looks at him, and the lights come on, and Peter goes, that's exactly how he said it. He's not being unfaithful. He is being faithful to the very end until death do us part. This is exactly how he said it would go. The problem for Peter is he thought that it would go this way, and he put all of his hope and expectations in this, and when reality was that Jesus was going this way, he broke down, and his expectations were unmet, and he denied Jesus in a dramatic way, which I think we do as well. When life doesn't go how we've planned, when something hits our life so often it can trigger us to fall away to stumble in our faith to backslide in our faith to, to turn and go the other way that's what happens here with Peter that's what happens with the disciples it wasn't going how they planned and they all went away and Peter the rooster crows and Jesus looks at him and the lights come on and he realizes Jesus isn't the problem, I'm the problem Jesus isn't being unfaithful I'm being unfaithful I just I just got locked into what I thought would happen 
And this is how it ends for Mark. This is, this is the end of the story for Peter, except for one verse after his resurrection when the angel tells the women, hey, go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus had rose from the dead. For the most part, though, this is what we see as the end for Mark, but this is for, for Peter in Mark, but this is not the end for Peter. This is not the end of his story. We see in, we're gonna turn over to Luke. Luke chapter 24, because this is where things change for Peter. Where Peter betrayed Jesus in epic ways, on par with the same betrayal that Judas had. One life ends, the other life continues and grows and flourishes. One's faith fails, the other's faith falls for a moment, but then rises again and is stronger than it was before. Where Judas's story ends after his betrayal, Peter's story really just gets going. We see the difference in Luke 24, verses 8 through 12. After Jesus had risen, and the women had come back and said that Jesus was alive, it says they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Go over to John chapter 21, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Again, after Jesus' resurrection, the women come and tell the disciples, and they're like, I don't know, and Peter's like, boom, books it, runs to the tomb, right? Jesus isn't there, so he hasn't seen Jesus in the flesh yet. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse, verse one, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter comes up with this idea, hey, I'm going fishing, boys. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This is just how it started for these men the exact same way that Jesus got their attention the first time when they didn't catch fish. And he said, hey, try the other side of the boat, right? They throw it over, pff, lots of fish. He tells them again, throw it on the other side of the boat. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, wouldn't you love to be that one, right? <laughs> that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, hot dog, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, what does he do? He put on his outer garment for his strip for work and he threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Peter sees Jesus, and he freaking jumps out the boat to swim to Jesus. It was his boat, his idea to go fishing. He sees Jesus, leaves his boys behind, bring the boat in. He is swimming to Jesus because he cannot get to Jesus fast enough. The difference between Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus Jesus in epic ways. Judas never turned to Jesus. Peter ran as fast, swam as fast as he could to him. The difference is not that they betrayed Jesus. The difference is that one of them repented and returned to the emphatic grace, waiting for the emphatically undeserving. The other one never returned to Jesus and continued to try to resolve things his own way. This is what I think that God wants for us. We will all fall away. We will all hit moments in our faith where we backslide, where we stumble, where we get tripped up, And I would venture to say for all of us at some point in ways that we would have said never, just like Peter, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. I'll never look at that. I'll never treat a person that way. I'd never stoop so low. Just like Peter, my guess is we've all had ways where we've fallen away from faithfulness to God and we've been unfaithful to him. But what God wants us to see is that there's an emphatic, over-the-top grace for even the most emphatically undeserving. If Peter can be welcomed back, Jesus never even brings it up. Jesus never once says, Peter, let's talk about what happened. Remember that, that time? You had three chances. I told you. Never. Because the grace of Jesus is so much that there's no one who can out his grace. That what he accomplished on the cross was enough for Peter's rejection and abandonment and what Jesus did on the cross is enough for my rejection and abandonment and what Jesus did on the cross is enough for your rejection and abandonment. The greatest betrayal is not so much the act of betrayal, it's that when we never repent and return to him. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross in the first place, was to forgive us of every moment of betrayal along the way so that we can repent and return back on path with him. God wants you to know, and maybe for some of you, it's in this moment that there is emphatic grace for you. Emphatic grace. If you'll just repent and return. If you'll own that we've messed up, (laughs) you're not gonna surprise God. You're not gonna say, hey, here's where I mess up. He's gonna be like, oh my gosh, what? No, no, he knows, he knows. Jesus went to the cross not to shame or guilt us, but to receive us back, to, to eat fish on the beach with us. 
to commission us as ambassadors for him. That's what we see with Peter. He commissions Peter to be the leader of his church. There's emphatic grace for us today. The difference is genuine repentance. The difference is genuine repentance. Both Judas and Peter felt remorse. Remember? Judas tried. He felt bad for what he did. What did he do, though? He tried to go and clean up his own mess, to sweep it under the rug, to fix it on his own. Peter just ran to Jesus. Both felt remorse. Both felt sorry. Simply feeling sorry for our mistakes is not necessarily repentance. The question is, where do we turn with that? Do we feel grief and turn inward and try to fix it ourselves? Do we feel grief and take it to Jesus? Openly and honestly lay at his feet. That's what the cross was for. It was to bring forgiveness and freedom so that we can return in right relationship with him. The greatest betrayal we can give to God is to never receive his grace. It's to not walk in the freedom that Jesus gave his life for us to have. What an insult. What a betrayal to Jesus. The last thing that I think is an interesting to note, Mark, where we've been reading, he, 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 didn't, he wasn't one of the apostles. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't there for this encounter with Peter. So where does Mark get his information? Peter. Mark is writing what Peter is telling him to write, which means Peter is openly and willingly pulling back the curtain on his darkest, lowest, most shameful moments and telling Mark, write this down for the whole world to see. He's telling his story of emphatic failure because it shines the light on the emphatic grace of God even more. Be willing to tell your story. We don't have to tell every detail. We don't have to tell a story in such a way that it points back to us. But Paul would willingly say, I'm the chief of sinners. Why? Because his grace is even greater. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Peter is willing to share his testimony even though some people might be like, bro, that was... And Peter's gonna go, but do you see the forgiveness of Jesus? Unbelievable. Do you see the grace of God to take me back? Unbelievable. The grace of God is for second chances and third chances and fourth chances and tenth chances and fortieth chances and thirty-seven hundredth chances. I was going backwards. Um, receive his grace it is for freedom that Christ came may we not settle for less than the abundant life that Jesus gave his life for us to have what, what an incredible form of betrayal an insult to our savior may we take the path of repentance that Peter took Receive the grace that Jesus offers. And 
tell the world through our lives of the grace of our Savior. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.